That's Ponty Market double play for this hour that we've uh, played just a little ahead of uh, our usual schedule to get maximum space to talk to Councillor Morgan in just a second. Uh, that's the Ponty Market double play, of course, years on years. And Sweet Talker was the first of the songs. Well, uh, it's not every day that you go to Windsor Castle, is it, Councillor Andrew Morgan? Good morning. Good morning. It was Windsor Castle you went, was it, on Wednesday? Yes, um, I had the pleasure of going up to Windsor Castle to collect in person, my OB, which the Queen actually awarded in the last honours uh, before she sadly passed away last year. So I had the honour of going up on Wednesday and, and collecting it. Who, who uh, let you have it? It, it was uh, Prince William. Uh, so Prince William done the presentation, so I had the opportunity to speak for a few minutes. Uh, you have the uh, OB pinned on myself, and then you leave, you have some photos, and you go outside into the castle. So it's a... It's a very slick process they have, and we were part of, I think it was 59 others there on the day receiving it, including, of course, I think it was Bonnie Tyler, so there was 59 <laughs> of us receiving awards on the day. Marvellous. There's no swords involved in this one, is there? No, that's if you're united. So, <laughs> that's uh, if you're united. No. Oh, well, that's next time, Andrew, next, you know, it's next time. Uh, but, what, you know, can I ask you, are you allowed to say what the conversation was, was like? Uh, yes, it, um, there's nothing secret from it they've said. So it's it, it's just, a, first of all, it's a formal introduction and then asking a little bit about my role, both as council leader and WLJ leader. Uh, the Prince said he tends to come to Wales, obviously, more often now being uh, granted the title of Prince of Wales. So no doubt we will meet in due course. We did speak about the fact that uh, his father, obviously the king now, but when he was Prince of Wales, opened the leader in Pontypridd. And we also talked about the fact that he returned and done a walk through Pontypridd Town Centre just before the COVID lockdown started, in fact, when we had the floods in Pontypridd and across the county. So we were talking about that uh, and various other things. It's just a very, I have to say, informal conversation. lasts about less than two minutes. Uh, and then, then you leave and, as I say, there's some formal photographs, etc., with family and friends outside. Well, it's, I mean, obviously, you, you, loads of people have given you congratulations, but I will extend them again now that you're live on the phone, because not every day that people get an OBE. And, uh, you know, it's in recognition of your, your public work. And I think it's, uh, you know, hats off, because you've had, uh, you're, well, it's a roller coaster, really, isn't it, of challenges since you've been in the role, I think, you know, with the floods and then COVID and, and now it's the cost of living. And that sort of brings me round to the first question uh, that came in uh, f- for your uh, the questions we were trawling, uh, sent in by Rob, actually, and it's the, the black bag thing. You, you, you would have been dreading this. But there's a bigger picture attached to this, isn't there? You're hoping to save is 800,000 a year by having uh, the black bag and uh, wheelie bin collections on a three-weekly basis instead of a two-weekly basis. And people are quite sort of up in arms about this, or some are anyway. But they don't kind of get, perhaps, the bigger picture is that this 800,000 you're trying to save is part of, is it over 30 million that you've got to save in the next financial year? Yeah, it's fair to say that, you know, when the Cabinet consulted and deliberated over the consultation responses, it's, it's not an easy one. I have to say, I don't think anybody would be saying they're overly pleased with the changes. It's something that, yes, it does save initially £800,000 on service changes. It avoids a further £400,000 in fines uh, if it helps us improve our recycling to hit the 70% figure. So the way that officers presented it, it's, it's more like a £1.2 million saving initially, but obviously those savings do grow over time. Uh, every year because of the cost of providing the services going up. 
But it is part, unfortunately, not just to make sure we hit our recycling targets, which we apply to, and alongside the you know, climate change directives, but it is absolutely also about saving money. And that comes down to the fact that this coming year, we have a £38 million budget shortfall. So even with the extra money we've had from Welsh Government, which was passported on for social care and education, in the whole time I've been council leader, we have never faced a budget gap on this scale. Even at the worst of austerity, we were talking £24 million shortfall. Next year, it's 38 And unfortunately, once you turn the streetlights off, or you've closed the library, or you've cut back on other services, you can't then cut them a second time. So it is becoming increasingly more difficult for councillors to make the budget add up. Yes, and it isn't just a case, of, although people would dread this, but it isn't just a case of you know, putting up the council tax because it's such a small proportion, certainly in this county, isn't it, of the cash that you actually need. Yes, yeah, so we get just over a million pounds. When you take into account the council tax reduction scheme, uh, net of that, we get just around a million pounds or just over a million pounds for every 1% council tax rise. So if people didn't want any service changes, no reductions, no other back office savings, and we just covered you with council tax, you'd be looking at about 35 36% council tax rise. It's just absolutely unaffordable for residents. So we've had to try and do a balance. We've really pressed officers about reducing headcount where there's vacancies, where people want to take VR, uh, voluntary retirement, voluntary redundancy. But ultimately, we can't save enough just by those things. And just want to put in perspective, our gas and electric, just like householders, are being really hard hit with energy costs. Public services have been hammered. Our gas prices next year are going up over 300%, or I should say not next year, it's this year now, over 300% increase in our gas. And we can't turn off the heating in K-homes, in sports centres, in our schools. And they are the places that by far the bulk of our energy is used. Our gas and electric bill this coming year will go from just under £7 million close to 20 million pounds it's absolutely incredible well it is it's it's an unimaginable amount isn't it and i think the wholesale price of energy appears to be dropping on the market now so with any luck this you know these 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 will be in the maximum um hikes rather than loads more percent on top which everyone was fearing i think but still it's a massive mountain to climb isn't it and, and it, always seems, it always seems a long time for prices to come back down <laughs> oh yes <laughs> and everything goes up really quickly yet we see gas electric fuel everything seems to take an awful long time before it comes back down so unfortunately some of these increased costs we think are going to be baked in for many many months if not a few years to come Yes, I mean, you'll, you'll have to tolerate them pretty much for the financial year starting in, in April, I think, whatever happens. So, I mean, they are there. And, of course, you, you're under a legal obligation, aren't you, to sort of balance the books? Yeah, that, that's another thing that and I know I always say this when I do media interviews. Unfortunately, local government isn't like some of the public services where we, are legal, we have a legal duty to have a balanced budget when we set it. So we are going to be using some reserves. In fact, we're using £5 million towards energy a further 4.1 million towards closing the gap. So we're going to use around 9 million pounds reserves in the coming year. We're already using around 20 million pounds worth of reserves in the current financial year to help with overspends and pressures, largely on inflation and energy, etc. But we have to make the sums add up. And I have to say, you know, if you just look online at councils, whether they are independent, whether they apply Cymru or Labour across Wales, they're all wrestling with these same issues about how do we make the budget add up Yes, and you don't really have the, all the answers yet, do you? With you know a couple of months left now to, to, to finish setting the budget, you, you know there's a lot of unknowns. 
Well, we're confident we won't have to make any more cuts. So the service changes we've announced to date, we're confident we will not have to bring forward any more. We have really tasked off as we're looking about reviewing how we spend money even further in terms of efficiency savings and doing things differently, making better use of more technology. And we're confident that with the use of reserves, we can set a balanced budget in the coming year without any further service changes or cuts having to be implemented. Marvellous. Well, that's that's great. Uh, Back to the um, black bag uh, debate for a minute. Um, You've explained why you need to save that money and so on, but um, a particular point that Rob makes that uh, you will have seen in in the notes we sent to you um, is that um, pet waste uh, isn't collected, you know, it's collected in the black bags, isn't it? Rather than with with little children, you know, we, we've got nappy collections and that's on a weekly basis. But stuff like pet waste, when you're thinking of particularly at the summer when it's really hot, uh, then that's a bit of an issue to, I mean, uh, Rob brought this issue up, but I think a lot of pet owners would, uh, would probably agree that, uh, you know, having stuff hanging around, especially in the summer for three weeks rather than two, uh, is, is, is not good, really, and not nice. I, I have to accept, you know, I'm a pet owner, the same, I have a dog. Um, ideally, we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for the various pressures we're under. But I would just want to re-emphasise that things like maggots and rats, which I know a number of people have said about, well, if you use your food waste recycling, and unless you ask, rats are attracted by food, that's what they're after, not dog feeds. Yeah. So we make sure that as many people as absolutely possible that... Any recycling, which is collected weekly, gets washed out, gets given a quick rinse. There's no uh, attraction for cats and, and dogs, except to those bags will continue to be taken weekly. But in terms of your food waste, that will be taken weekly. And I have to say that you know, we have to concentrate on putting the absolute minimum in the bin that will attract any rodents. Now, I have to say, you know, I put my bin out probably once a month, if that. But some families will find it more difficult and more challenging because of the circumstances. And what, I, what officers have been really told in the cabinet meeting, and I know a number of cabinet members raised this with officers, is that we expect the council to work with residents. So if somebody really does say, I cannot manage with the, the bag allowance or the bin allowance because I have a larger family or I have a uh, you know, significant number of animals, etc., then they will discuss with them about the potential of an extra bag allowance or making arrangements. But I, I think for the vast majority of people, as long as we really focus on recycling everything possible. I just ask people, just as, you know, as much as I don't like having to make these changes, and in the ideal world, I certainly wouldn't be agreeing it, but what I would say is that just think about what you put in your bin. So even things in your bathroom, from your toothbrush to your uh, toilet roll holders and washing gel bottles, everything is recyclable. There really, really should not be very much going in your bin at all. So if your bin is overflowing, I would even say to you, look, speak to our waste awareness officers, let them have a look with you, have a conversation and see if we can help advise on a way forward. But ideally, in a perfect world, we wouldn't be doing this. But it does come down to the fact we have to hit targets, we have to save money. And I did say at the Cabinet meeting when the Cabinet were considering this as an option, it's not an easy decision to make, I can assure you. It's not something that I don't think any of the Cabinet would agree to if they had a, another alternative. Well, yes, and obviously it's the thing that everyone's jumped on in the sense that the, the local papers, you know, uh, they're getting a lot of correspondence from people uh, complaining about it all. And it's actually interesting to hear the, the kind of background to it all from you. But, but uh, yeah, so, so it's not something you would, uh, you would normally want to do, but you've got to save that money. Yeah, p- pretty much. And you can even see from the consultation responses, I know a number of people have said about um, 
Plus the members didn't take notice of the consultation. But actually, if you look at the consultation, it's actually quite evenly split. On the one question, there was 50.4% in favour. On another question relating to it, it was 46% in favour and 54% against. So it, it goes to show that realistically, out of the 4,000 plus people who took part in the survey, that was something that even split the public. But there has been some amendments. So, for example, if you have a small bin, there's not all the really bins of the same size. One of the things the tablet has insisted that you are allowed to put an extra bin out. So it's fair that whether you have a large bin, a small bin, or you don't have a bin, you get to put roughly the same volume of material out. And that is something that in the consultation, there was a lot of questions about that. And that's something that the cabinet picked up on when they went through the consultation. And that's why it is important that those responses are read and they're taken on board in terms of what the difficulties could be and where they can be mitigation. Yes, it's people with the smaller of the two wheelie bins, isn't it? I think it's just over 100, 120 litre capacity as opposed to the 240 litre one, I think you remember from your press release. And yes. the, the 240 litre one is thought to be big enough, you know, to cope even with the three weekly cycle. But the 120 litre one, they are, you are allowing an extra black bag to go out with it. So uh, well, normally you wouldn't put any black bags out with a, with a wheelie bin, would you? But um, from the change... Um, I understand that you better put out one black bag in addition to the smaller wheelie bin. Yes, I think from the conversations that councillors had in asking officers questions on this, that was the change that was asked for. We didn't think it was fair, uh, and therefore, based on the consultation responses around that particular question, um, the report was changed, and ultimately, there will be a, a small wheelie bin and a black bag allowed. I would just point out as well, just to say there's six or seven other councillors in Wales currently doing this and there's, a, I believe another four or five councillors are in the process of consulting the latest council just to announce that they're actually implementing this and they've started implementing it, it's Carmarthenshire um, so more and more councillors unfortunately are going this way because as more and more things are collected in recyclable uh, bags on a daily basis realistically bins should become less and less needed so but three-weekly, really, for us, is the farthest we would consider. Ideally, we wouldn't have made any change at all to the fortnight, if I'm honest. Do you, do you think in the fullness of time it might be able to go back to a fortnightly, or, or do we have to get used to three-weekly now on a long-term basis, do you think? Realistically, I think it probably will have to stay at three-weekly, simply because the funding available in the, in the future years is going to get worse. The UK government set out to spend and review what public services can expect over the next few years. And I have to say, while this coming financial year, we're, as I've already said, we're in a position where we think we are able to set a balanced budget. I have to say the following financial year, it gets even worse. And I think councillors and public sector are really going to struggle. So I can't see reversing any of this, unfortunately. OK. Something completely different is the quite complicated question that's come in about fibre, uh, broadband fibre that's available. I think this is in the Reed Vellon area. Um, hopefully you've got the text there because it's a bit too long for me to to read out. Yeah, yeah. so I, I wasn't fully aware of this, but I, I can tell you, actually, my deputy leader, Councillor Maureen Weber, it's actually her electoral leader, and she's been working on this for some time. Right. And um, there's been meetings with EMS, uh, McAntonu, and Alex Davis-Jones, the MP, on this. And while obviously the, the responsibility for this sits with BT Openreach, but there is a real concern about they haven't extended the broadband uh, fibre in the area. And there's, there's work and lobbying going on, but we really appear to be in the hands of the residents of Rick Valley and seem to be in the hands of BT Openreach. 
So what I would say is I'd really encourage residents who must be massively frustrated with this to contact BT Openreach individually or also get in touch with either Councillor Weber to help build the case or get in touch with your MP and MS. I think the more strength of feeling of residents in that area being expressed to BT Openreach, maybe they will shift because they have introduced it in some areas, but it seems very unfair that one street may have access and the, and the neighbouring street doesn't. So I, I really do think that residents down there need to you know, join with elected politicians and really voice their concern to BT Openreach. To keep up the pressure on BT, really, and I mean, Havard development in Elan Avenue is one of the things that's come up in the, in this uh, in this question that's come in, um, which apparently isn't being catered for at this minute with 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 fibre. You'd you'd think actually, because these plans are known. I mean, they've gone through planning and all of this. These things are known years in advance, very often. So you'd imagine that the telecoms people would just automatically kind of go along and put a you know a connection in. Yeah, it's, it seems to be um, frustrating us all that how things have happened here. Um, I'm looking at some information I've been sent, and it says the um, the new. I believe it's having uh, fiber uh, fiber broadband is supplied to the new development within the next few months. But it seems to be, from what I understand and reading the notes that I had on this yesterday, it seems a very piecemeal approach, and that's way I think is. And it's understandably frustrating for residents that some areas are having the access and others are not. And of course, more people now are working from home. Um, you know, there has been a change of not full time sometimes. You know, it's, it may only be a couple of days a week, but since the pandemic, there's now more flexible arrangements for working from home for people across the board. And if they haven't got good broadband access, well, that really does hamper them. But I would really urge people to get in touch with BT Openreach, contact Councillor Weber if you need any advice. Uh, and put you in contact with the right people, and similar with the MS and MP, I think collectively this will take some people power to really press BT Openreach to say, look, no, you, you need to up your game, and actually the whole community wants access to good broadband, not just a few streets. Yes. Well, where we are here in Reed Vellon, we've got access to Virgin Network as well, which is a high-speed connection. Uh, I don't know whether that's an option with Havard, uh, whether Virgin are going to put you know, an extension of their system up, up in there. But they do actually in parts of Reed Vellon, you, you know, you've got a choice. You can go with BT and lots of other providers, you know, Talk Talk and people like that who use the BT connection. Or you could go with the Virgin connection, which again is, is, is fibre, but that's obviously not available to all, I think. So BT Openreach are the ones who are nominated providers with the government and they actually get some government subsidy. But of course, they are, you're right, there are other commercial firms who in some areas have installed fibre. Um, but it, but again, it is a patchwork quilt. Yeah. In my own area, I have to say, where I live in my ward, there's very little access uh, to that. But it is hit and miss, and it's really unfair that if some streets in a locality have it and others don't. So, you know, please contact BT Openreach, contact your elected members. They'll give you as much advice and support as possible, but the campaign to lobby them needs to continue. Well, as I understand it, Virgin had permission to, you know, dig up roads and put their own system in years and years ago, but they're the only commercial company that, apart from BT, that has permission to do that. And everybody else uses a BT connection. So, you know, whether you're with Sky or a lot of other providers, they all use the BT connection. So it's pretty crucial that everyone's got access to one, really. Yep. Yes, absolutely. I would say there are two other firms who have been 
asking it wouldn't be right for me to to say on the radio but there are two of the firms who have been in contact with my office right uh, expressing an interest to say that they look into coming to their own the Cantaf area in particular in the valleys around installing uh, additional broadband capacity this is separate to BT Open Reach right. and again it's on a commercial market so it'd be interesting to see if it does come potentially there's millions of pounds worth of investment um, unfortunately with that does come a lot of roadworks of course they do dig up all the footways and mm. Um, we have to press them to make sure they reinstated correctly, but potentially there is light to the tunnel, but it does appear to be a very long tunnel. Now, changing the subject entirely, uh, we had a question in from Linos uh, in, in Pontypridd, and this is about the Gartholug nursing home. And I would imagine, that, and we've had several questions, I think, about this. Um, I, I would imagine this is part of your reorganisation, isn't it, of, of care for the elderly, where the majority of your uh, nursing homes are remaining, but one or two of them are closing. Yes, and, and this has been something that's been reviewed a number of times across the county. And unfortunately, it, the simple facts are that the number of places in council-owned residential homes, vacant beds, if I can describe that way, is significantly increased. So if you go back prior to the pandemic, we were talking a very small number, I think it was around eight to nine in 2016, whereas now we have 109 vacancies. And this is partly as well, mind, I have to say, being driven by government. We're, we're helping to keep people at home longer, um, support them in their own homes, putting adaptions in, using new technology, using the K-Link system, etc. So the demand on residential care homes per se isn't as high as it previously was, but there is more demand either for the high end, in particular for dementia care, or for the extra care, which is slightly more support than you would get in a uh, development such as like a, a residential complex where you don't have a warden in an extra care facility. You still have 24-hour care staff there, but the staffing arrangement is based on the client's needs rather than actually on a home's establishment. So Gartholog is one of the homes that's under review for decommissioning, but what would be the intention that it would be to make about £10 million investment and to reopen the home as a facility for people with learning difficulties um, so we can support people. These would be adults with uh, learning difficulties where we've done these developments in other parts, both in Rhonda and in Cannon Valley, and they work very well. They're very good community uh, kind of facilities supported by staff. And it's the sort of thing that actually with the, the way to help support people in the right setting, it's the sort of thing we should be doing more of. So it isn't just about closing a key home. Um, and I would just point out as well, there is two council care homes, two extra care facilities and a private care home, all within five miles of Gartholog. But again, the consultation has only just closed. I think the responses will need to be carefully considered. And again, the cabinet will have to draw a view on this once they've had time to read through all the information and to make sure that they come out with the right outcome based on the information presented to them. Yes, I, I, well, as as you've been pointing out, really, I suppose the the needs of the community and the elderly people within the community are, are actually changing, aren't they? So, at one end, you've got obviously dementia care and sort of high intensity care, if you like, but but at the other end, you've got people who, who want to move into somewhere that's that's more like a, a sheltered sort of flat complex. I mean, your extra care facilities appear to have people sort of living independently within them with varying degrees of support depending on their need. That's correct. So an extra care 
uh, they still have, you know, they have a bedroom, they have a li- small li- living room, they have a kitchen and a bathroom, so it's more independent living. Mm. But still provided care. Some, for example, one client in one, uh, if you call it a flat, would say have a couple of hours support if that's all they need. Whereas somebody next door may have 15 hours a week support if they need more intense support with their uh, abilities and you know, looking after them. So it, the care there is very tailored towards the individuals rather than in a nursing home or a care home. It's very based on the establishment and the number of beds. But you are right. I know there will always be a need for, I think, for residential, but there'll be a mix between extra care, general residential, but it, then looking at particularly at the uh, more acute end, focusing on dementia, which is becoming more of an issue um, with those people who have complex needs for support. And that's where the strategy that officers have brought forward really concentrates the funding towards. Yeah, I see. Okay, well, Delith in Tonopandi, changing the subject again, is saying, why does Rhonda Housing Association own so much of Tonopandi Town Centre? Why can't investment be made to the town centre other than theirs, I suppose, is, is what she's asking. I, I can't really answer for Rhonda Housing Association because obviously they're uh, their own board, they, mm. they make their own decisions and where they buy properties um, with grant funding, etc. is up to them, uh, provided they have a, a suitable housing strategy in place. But they are working obviously on the HUD uh, facility, which is the former, I think, the co-op pioneer store. But generally, our funding that from the local government side and the grants that we can access, if you look at some of the uh, town centre developments we've done, I know there's a nice coffee shop in Tonopandi. We, we have fund, I think it's one of the former banks there. Uh, if you look in Aberdeen, we've seen recently uh, a more, the new Italian restaurants all opened. That was helped funded by Welsh government, funded in terms of the renovation of the, the building. So the Black Lion there had been empty for many years and has renovated. Uh, if you look at Mountain Ash, Mountain Ash Town Hall, or we have the uh, new photographers at the top of the town. So there are grants available to try and support businesses. And of course, we are doing a lot of work in Pontypris from, if you look at the Cleese Cadden de- development and uh, Gatto Lounge to the Pontypris, the southern end of Pontypris, now the Bingo Hall and the Marks and Spencer site. There are other developments coming forward potentially on these sites. So we do as much as we can, but in terms of the town centres and whether that's Aberdeen, Pontypris, Tonopandi, businesses unfortunately have to want to come there, and we can't make a business. And people say to me sometimes, "Why do, can't we have a Morrison say in Aberdeen?" Well, I would say, "Well, councils don't build Morrisons. Unfortunately, it's Morrisons build Morrisons." But what we can do is try to make the uh, right kind of environment, and that's in a good public realm. So that is about making sure that we offer support on rates because the government sets rates. Everybody says, oh, the council has rates too high. Actually, the government sets the rates, but because of the rate release scheme in Wales, the vast majority of businesses, and especially small shops and town centres, pay no rates at all because uh, there's a rate reduction scheme in place. And we've added to that uh, over the last few years in Rome, the Kentap. We are making about £400,000 extra available to support businesses on rates. So we try to do as much as we can to support. The big issue is we've got to improve footfall in the town centres. So if you were listeners, you know, even small actions, buying some small groceries, buying the local paper, if you've got to pick up a pint of milk when you're in town, using those small, especially the independent shops, it is vital to see footfall grow because all these big businesses, they focus their stores based on footfall. So without footfall, we will never attract those big stores. And it's a 
it is almost like a chicken and egg situation where we have to get more people into our town centres, using the small shops, and hopefully we'll, we'll draw in more business. Yeah, well, actually, Debs, as you saw from her question uh, that came in about this, is, you know, the town centres desperately need new businesses, as, as you've said yourself. I know you've put free Wi-Fi into, I think, all the town centres now, haven't you? And, uh, and in a lot of them, you've got free parking as well. Obviously, Aberdeer and uh, and Pontypridd, apart from the Christmas month, you know, uh, there are charges, but quite a few other towns, there aren't any. No, so most town centres don't have charges, and I would say that since I've been council leader, I've cut the car parking charges in Aberdeen and Pontypridd. We've also made them free after 3 o'clock and actually free all day on a Saturday from 10 o'clock to try and inc- increase the use of the town centres. We're looking about what more we can do about supporting bus uh, travel, especially around ten- town centres. I would love to see some sort of free transport uh, on public sector transport being provided. We are working through to see if that's an option for us. Um, but of course, bus industry right now is under massive pressure because of the increased costs and some of the government funding that's been supporting them through COVID is coming to an end now shortly. So we we are up against it in lots of different areas. But what I would say, to, uh, if any of your listeners are interested in opening a business in a town centre or have a business and are thinking of renovating or expanding it, then there are grants available from the local authority. Uh, some are up to £10,000, some are small up to £1,500 for maintenance works. And similar, there are grants from the Welsh Government that we also administrate, and they up to £250,000 for larger enterprises. So if somebody is interested, then certainly get in touch with the local authority. We may be able to help you. OK, well, that, that's that's helpful. I mean, obviously, it'd be nice to see more people back in our town centres. I'm sure a lot of the small businesses you referred to there would would uh, very much like to, to see that. But, you know, it's the I suppose it's the economic situation is, is, a, is a factor which is beyond your control. But you can at least and you are uh, making the town centres as attractive as, as you can uh, within your powers. Um, something we should talk about, Andrew, while we've still got a minute, is the uh, flood alleviation work. We, we all had a fright recently with, you know, a, a lot of rain and some flooding, of course, occurred. Uh, now, since Storm Dennis, I know your council has done a lot of work on, on culverts that were thought to be, you know, the particular culprits last time. How how did that work sort of stand up to, you know, the test of a real storm? Uh, it's a really good point. And I'd like to certainly take the opportunity to set the record so I have seen some, unfortunately, people have been saying, you know, all this money has been spent and we still have flooding. Just want to reassure the public that every single flood, levi- uh, flood alleviation scheme that the council has carried out since Storm Dennis, which is just kind of now to three years ago, we've spent millions and millions of pounds upgrading culverts and assets. Every one of them held during the recent bad weather. But the point which I've made a number of times in council and I've said previously publicly, this is going to be a, a relentless programme over many years. So there's an awful lot of culverts still out there that we haven't got to. Now, we're in the process of putting bids to Welsh Government again this year for a further £5 to £6 million. We'll be announcing shortly some further council money for the next financial year uh, to help boost our flood alleviation works. But realistically, uh, the best will in the world, we have designers working on schemes, we have various contractors and our own staff. We really are looking at a, a, a programme of five, maybe eight, maybe in ten years, where we... There will need to be a continuous cycle of improving flood assets. 
but the vast majority of the ones that flooded Doomstone Dennis, we have now got to. We've done over 100 schemes, and as I say, every one of them held in the recent bad weather. One of the problems, I just want to also clarify, of course, we are not responsible for trying to deal with river flooding. That's under the remit of Natural Resources Wales. But we are working with them really closely. They are doing various modelling on the Taft, the Cannon, and the Ronda Rivers. We will be pressing them hard to see whether it is possible to put extra flood defences in. Of course, there is a counter-argument. If you put lots of flood defences in one area, you displace water elsewhere, and I appreciate they have to balance this out. But we will certainly be pressing NRW as much as possible to do work within Ronda Cantaf. But my commitment has been over the last three years is that we will draw in every penny of money we can to upgrade every culvert and to improve every flood asset we have in RCT to make sure that in future, when next time we have a major storm, we are prepared as best as possible to protect as many people as possible. Yes, because sadly, these things are going to become more frequent, aren't they? We just have to kind of get used to that idea and do, do the best we can. Yeah, that, that, that's correct. And one of the things we have to also be honest and, and say, we're not going to be able to stop all flooding. That is clearly the fact that, you know, in some cases, you may be considering upgrading a culvert so it doesn't block, it doesn't allow debris to wash down. But the simple fact is that if you have a much more intense storms in the future, it could be that culvert line can't carry that much water away. So you would then have to consider, well, could you upgrade the culvert? But if it's going to cost maybe tens of millions, because it's not just on the one street, it's, it's on every street until you get to the river. And if it's going to cost tens of millions, and it only protects maybe 100, 200 houses, but for £10 million, you could protect 1,000 houses elsewhere, that's where they will come down to some difficult choices about where we invest. But certainly I would say there are still lots of areas, and I can give a firm commitment that the council will continue to bid for every penny possible and we will continue to upgrade as many culverts and store cameras to make sure that residents hopefully can have that reassurance that we are doing as much as possible to protect their homes in bad weather. I mean, was the recent storm the first opportunity you had to use your emergency control room? Well, it's been manned a number of times, um, and every time there's a yellow or an amber warning, it is physically manned with people in there watching the cameras. An awful lot of the culverts have sensors on them as well, uh, which record the, the depth of the water in the culverts. Um, so even outside of those uh, amber and yellow weather warnings, if a sensor is triggered, that goes through to our call centre, and our call centre records that then with an officer uh, uh, for an emergency response to go and check. But during severe weather, we have the sensors, which go through to our call centre, but in addition to that, we have actually physical staff in the emergency control room looking at the cameras, um, and they... So it, it, during bad weather, I just want to reassure people, where there are culvert sensors, there are both staff monitoring the culvert sensors and monitoring the CCTV, in addition to the dozens of crews we have out there at night going around checking all the major culverts. So the system, it, I wouldn't say it's totally foolproof. No, they, they could always be a fault. They could be a power outage. But I, I just want to reassure people that compared to where we are now, the pre-storm Dennis, we have made a massive effort in Romulkant after really increased resilience in terms of capital spending, more crews on call, the emergency control room, the level of staffing we have in the active uh, team. So we've done as much as possible, but we just got to keep this campaign of seeking money wherever possible, wherever we get grant funding, all for calibers, which still posts to properties, and we have to do as much as we can. 
Yes. Well, I think we've got time for about two minutes on, on one more thing. And you're planning to, to extend the railway, aren't you? Or, or hope that Transport for Wales can from Aberdare up to Hirwine. Yes, it's been a really long-standing uh, commitment and a campaign on this. And over about five years now, the council has secured funding to the various studies. It's a long, whenever you open a new rail line, it's, it is a protracted uh, piece of work. Previously, this line was only for freight, uh, so it was when it was used for tower colliery. However, replacing this track, uh, installing overheads to extend the metal work, which is progressing now right across the county and certainly kind of value because all the overhead stanchions are going in and in the coming months you'll see the cables going up. But the plan is that there's a new Aberdeen station, which is currently under construction. It's one of about 20 across the region that uh, Transport for Wales are doing. And then the plan is in the future that we see line extended with a new halt in Trikanan, a new station in Hildrine, and even potentially a further station up at the former tower site, which could be used as a link and for the likes of Zipbul and other attractions, but it also could be a strategic park and ride where people travelling on the heads of the valleys could park there and then catch a train straight down to Cardiff because the new electric trains, which, you know, I've been talking about these now for at least five or six years, and I've been involved many times lobbying and pressing both the Reaver and Transport for Wales for the investment that's needed. They are now being manufactured. They are starting to arrive. And once these cables are up and, and the lines are energised, uh, roughly about a year from now, we will see new trains running on the valleys. And I think that will be a massive step forward because, honestly, the, the service, I think, on occasions is not good enough for the residents. I use the train service occasionally. I know what it's like. I speak to residents. My friends and family use the train service. And I think the future, if we to get more people out of the car, we've got to have a good, reliable turn-up-and-go train service. Transport will say they're doing that. They're working on that programme. But it's up to myself and others and, and people out there to make sure they deliver on what they say. Oh, yes. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think after all the promises, you know, and the investment and all of that, and, you know, it'll be in two years and then it's one year or whatever, People will have will wait to see it really, um, but four trains an hour on all of the branch lines is pretty impressive actually. And uh, once it starts, it should make a major difference. Yep, that, that's four trains now in each direction mm. on an Aberdeen Merthyr. Um, that does actually mean twenty four trains an hour through Pontypridd train station. Uh, Pontypridd train station is going to be a very busy train station in the future when the metro is up and running. But that's exactly what we should expect. We should expect a train every for six, seven minutes through Pontypridd, going to Cardiff or heading up the valleys. That's the sort of service that we should expect. And I don't expect anything less. Councillor Andrew Morgan, OBE, thank you so much for your time this morning.